All right. Good morning, everybody. Just show of hands. Can anybody use a little bit more rest in their lives these days? Just show of hands. Okay. I think we can all probably say that in a way. I don't know about you, but the back half of that video, something inside of me just goes, ah, right? I think collectively we probably feel that in the room a little bit. I don't know what it is, but I think we can all say whatever that is, I need some more of that. Amen. Uh, we, We can use more Rest, And I don't know about you, but uh, maybe that rest, uh, for some of you, it's physical, that you just need some more sleep. But I think we all long for rest. Sometimes it's physical. For some of us, it's emotional and and the wear and tear uh, that our emotions take on our bodies. For some of you, it's spiritual. You feel this disconnect from God today. I was doing some cleaning at our house because... I do that a lot, uh, and uh, I found these old sponges that were uh, under the sink in our basement. I, I, I don't, we don't never use them, but they're there, and they're old, and they're crusty, and I was looking at that thinking, man, I feel like for some of us, that's what we feel like today. We need rest for our souls. We need rest spiritually as well because we're dry. We're parched. Our souls are parched, and we need the living water of Jesus. For some of you, it really is physical rest. You're saying, I've talked to more young families <laughs> with young kids in our congregation, which there are a lot of, and it's fun to see the pure joy and excitement on your face to tell me, oh man, we got a four-hour stretch last night. It was awesome. It was amazing, you know, and just the, the awesomeness uh, of that as well. But for some of you, it's emotional weariness. It's spiritual dryness. For some of you, you've been very, very busy for God but your soul is parched and you're dry like that sponge because you can't remember the last time that you had intimacy with him. I mean, think about it. I can't remember the last time that I had a conversation just in passing or a casual conversation with any of you. And I said, hey, how's it going? How are you feeling? And the response was, oh, completely rested and refreshed. I got 12 hours of sleep last night. I'm just rocking it, taking care of myself, eating healthy, exercising. I am just nailing it. I can't remember the last time that I heard that as a response. I think it's because that video speaks to the madness of the days that we find ourselves in in the world that we live in. Would you believe that we live in a world that is perfectly designed to keep us from living healthy, sustainable, deeply rooted lives, physically, emotionally, and spiritually? Just a show of hands, did anybody make a New Year's resolution this year? Okay, four of you, right? The rest of you have already quit. You don't want to admit it. Uh, and I, I get that. That's, o- that's okay. The reason we make resolutions is because when you walked in the door this morning, there's something about your life that you wanted to change. You wanted to get more sleep. You wanted to exercise more. You wanted to eat healthy. You wanted to be on your phone less and spend more time with God. But the reason that it's the middle of February now and that a lot of those resolutions have gone by the wayside is not because they weren't good resolutions or goals. And it's not because you didn't try hard. It's because it's a battle, and maybe you sense that and you feel that because of the world that we live in. And I think there's a reason why. There's kind of three characteristics that I just want to name this morning. You may already know this. It may not be new information to you, but I just want to speak directly into a lot, what a lot of us might be feeling as a source of the exhaustion and the angst and the anxiety that a lot of us feel. For number one, I don't know if you feel this, but the pace of life and the world that we live in that we've kind of adopted has changed over the last 20 to 10 to 20 years specifically. I don't have to convince you of that. You feel it, but sometimes it's helpful to have some statistics or information to to remind us of that just in in the amount of information that's being exchanged and the communication and the speed of our world. You know that we'll send more mail. Yes, some people still do that. We'll send more mail around the planet in one day today than the entire world did in 1970. 
We will send more, uh, we'll make more phone calls in one day today than the entire world did in the year of 1980. That's how fast-paced things are going. In the next 24 hours, we will send more emails than the entire world did in 1990. Maybe that's because it was, you know, the dial-up thing or whatever. Okay? There might be a reason for that, okay? Has anybody sent a few texts? Anybody sent a few texts probably already today? Multiple texts? We'll send more texts today than the entire world did in the year of 2000. So this is something that's rapidly changing. It's exponentially faster. And there's all sorts of uh, apps out there. There's a WhatsApp. People can communicate for free around the world. In the time that I've been giving you these stats in the last minute or two, 37 million WhatsApp messages were sent around the world. That just boggles my mind. And I don't know about you, but I get a little exhausted just rattling off those. It's just exhausting hearing it. But I want you to know that it's deeper than technology changes. There's an author named Meyer Friedman, and he has written multiple books, but he says in our society, he's been studying this, we suffer from something that's actually, it's been diagnosed by doctors, something called hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. And it's actually a kind of disease that they can physically prove is killing you, is killing you. People, just as much as all these other things that we say, well, your doctors told me not to do this, not to do this. Hurry, rush, busy lives are at the source of that. That's killing us not just physically, but spiritually as well. But there's more. It's not just the pace of life. It's also the constant information and interruptions that are coming our way. We are spending an average, I don't have my phone up here because I'm expecting a call, but as a prop to show you that we use these on an average of three hours a day that we are looking at our phones, we are connected to them. Researchers say the amount of information that we are consuming as we scroll through our feeds and our laptops and television screens and 24-hour news networks, the amount of information that you and I consume in our human brains in a week is enough to crash a computer. Like your mind, your soul doesn't have that much Ram. We want to unplug, but we feel this constant need to be connected, to get the next hit, to get the next notification, to feel connected and needed to keep up. We have FOMO. We have fear of missing out. What's going on? And I don't want to miss it. I don't know if any of you struggle with this, but it's just like confession time with Pastor John this morning. I've had the hardest time of finding my phone recently. Like I'll set it down somewhere. I'm like, I can't find it. And Tiffany was kind of joking. She said, why don't we just strap it to your arm and then you won't lose it, right? Sometimes it kind of feels like that, like it's an appendage of your body. And even in the, in the midst of important work, interruptions are normal. I can't remember the last time that I was able to focus on something for an extended period of time. And, and here's the thing. Maybe I haven't told you anything that you don't know, and this is not me railing against technology. It's not inherently bad. While I'm passionate about this topic and I want to speak into it today is because what I've noticed happening to me over the last couple of years and chances are, if I'm struggling with it, chances are there's got to be somebody here today that's feeling these sorts of things. Various times over the last couple of years, I find myself just exhausted. I have a much shorter attention span than I used to have. Anybody? I have a hard time, it's trickling into my relationships. I have a hard time investing deeply in relationships because I'm distracted. I find that often at home with my wife and kids, I have a shorter Fuse. And when I time, find time for fun and joy and family, I'm unable to enjoy it a lot because I'm always getting distracted. And again, I'm not anti-technology here, anti-information. I'm just, 
I'm getting really curious about what the pace of life and the world that we live in is doing to my soul. And I think that any serious follower of Jesus should ask those similar questions. And what I've found is that I'm living a shallower life than I did five, ten years ago. There's a, actually a book, a New York Times bestseller. You should check it out. It's called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. Psychologically changing the way that we are wired up, our chemical balance in our brains. But that word shallow just gripped me. Because in a lot of ways, as we skim, as we scroll through our lives, I think it's not just on here, I think it's out here. I find myself skimming through relationships, skimming through marriage, skimming through parenting, and most dangerous, skimming through my relationship with God. And maybe some of you feel the same way. And so I feel these things happening to me, and what I've discovered is that my soul can't move at the pace of a smartphone. And maybe it was never designed to. And it's not just the pace of life, it's not just the amount of information and interruptions, it's this new reality that we live in, the world of workism. And notice I didn't say workaholism, that's a thing too, that you can be addicted to that, but I said workism. The Atlantic came out with an article last year entitled, the subtitle is this, Workism is Making Americans Miserable. And the author makes the case that work has not just morphed into an addiction that some people have, so they can't stop working and getting off the treadmill, but work has actually morphed into a religious identity. The issue anymore is that I, I worship as a Baptist, or I worship as a Pentecostal, or as a Lutheran, or as a Catholic. Those are important distinctions to make. But what they're saying is that work has gotten to a certain point where it's almost a religious identity. He writes, some people worship beauty. Some people worship political identities. I got to make sure that I'm filtering my political identity through my gospel lens and not the other way around. Some people, get this, worship their children. There's a thought for you. What I'm looking to satisfy my soul and to ultimately give me an identity is what I worship. Some people worship their children, but everybody worships something. That's the crux of it. And workism is among the most potent of new religions competing for our hearts. Workism, get this, is the belief that work is not only necessary, but also the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purpose. So just breathe that in for a second, and I read that, and this is the statement that came to my mind. Often I wonder if the root of our busyness and exhaustion isn't time management, it's misplaced worship. It's misplaced identity. Take away what you do for a living, who are you? Do you know who you are, apart from what you do and apart from what you produce? And it's not just those that are in the workforce. I know that a lot of you are, are moving into that, that retirement season of life. It's fascinating to me that I talk to people that are in that stage of life and you still struggle with this. We all do because it's an identity thing. I don't know who I am. Now, is work a really good thing, right? Absolutely, right? I'm not railing against work or anything like that. Some of you are like, it's got to be a result of sin, right? Adam and Eve bit the apple and God's like, nine to five, clock in and clock out. This is your penance, right? No, work is a good thing. God created it. It happened before the fall, okay? God creates Adam and Eve, and he gives them what? A job to do. You have a purpose for your life. It is good to have soul-satisfying work, but at the end of the day, it ultimately can't fill you up. 
Work came after the fall, and the problem is, is that we worship the gift rather than the giver, because work was never ultimately meant to satisfy your soul. And so you put all these things together, our pace of life, the amount of information coming at us, workism and the dangers with that, and there are two common things when I talk to people that I hear more than anything else. Number one, I'm tired, exhausted, and stressed. And number two, I want to grow in my relationship with God. Is that beyond ironic or what? It's beyond ironic because the two could not be any more linked. It speaks directly to our problem. That's why we're talking about this today, not just for John's seven tips to a better life or something like that. Our frenzied life gets in the way. It cuts us off from experiencing the life of Jesus. This world we live in, the frenzied life that we've adopted, cuts us off from our souls, which is where we experience God. Makes me think of a story uh, that I heard about a year ago. It was about an American traveler and a tourist, and he was planning a big safari to Africa, a big sightseeing trip, and he wanted to experience everything that he could in a couple weeks. And so he had a big agenda. He was a type A, you know, driven uh, planner and scheduler. Maybe some of you are like this when you go on vacation. You've got every day booked out, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. You want to make the most of your time. And he did that, and so he had this big caravan uh, brought with some friends and all of his luggage. And so he actually hired some locals, some, some tour guys, guides that knew the way uh, through the jungles and uh, through the desert, and he wanted to explore all that this region of Africa had in just a short amount of time, and so it was that level of planning. And so on the first morning, he had all these tour guides uh, that were locals there, and they all woke up early, and they traveled fast, and they covered a great distance. And then they woke up the next second morning was the same. They woke up early, they traveled fast, and they, they, they traveled far, and they covered a great distance. Third day, the same. They woke up, they traveled far, they covered a great distance. But on the fourth morning, he got up all ready to go early, and the local hired help refused to move. Instead, they sat by a tree in the shade well into the morning and just sat there. And rested. And this American tourist, this traveler that was used to a planned schedule and fill every moment of every day and get all these things done, he was irate and he said to the translator, This is a waste of valuable time. What are we doing? Can somebody tell me what is going on here? What are they doing? And the translator looked at him and calmly answered, They are waiting for their souls to catch up with their bodies. And I don't know about you, but I heard that story and I went, that describes the last five years of my life. For some of you, if you feel disconnected from God, it might be that the very pace of your life is flying in the face of everything that you're singing and praying about. If there's a gap there, that gap needs to be closed. And you don't know it, but for a lot of you, that's exactly what you need. There's a disconnect there, and it's got to be more than tips or techniques. It's got to be more than that. And I, I love that opening video that I showed you, and it's great. Slow down, breathe, rest, take time to be great. Those are all good things. The one thing that they didn't mention is the solution is the answer. And modern counseling and, and some counselors and books and blogs and techniques will all say that. Just look deep into yourself and you'll find the answer. But don't you think that if we were smart enough as modern, technologically advanced people by now, that maybe we would have been smart enough to get off the treadmill? But we haven't done it. The more we advance, the more the disconnect between our bodies and our souls grows. 
Instead, the Bible looks at it very, very differently. And into our world, into a wild and crazy world 2,000 years ago, Jesus steps in and he says this from our scripture reading today. Let's read it together from Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. How do we find rest and rescue from the madness around us? We come to Jesus. At the risk of oversimplifying it, we come to Jesus and we find his rhythm. And notice I said rhythm, I didn't say balance, because for 37 years, I haven't had a day or a week where I felt like it was balanced. Can I get an amen? Anybody else struggle with that? I want to have a work-life balance and marriage and parenting and kids and work and hobbies. And all. I've, never, I've never been balanced because that's not real life. But what Jesus offers us to, I believe, as we dig into how he created us and created the world is to find a sustainable rhythm for our souls. Instead of going to the most popular opinions that are out there, if we want to discover the best way to care for our bodies and our souls and our minds, don't you think that we should go and ask the one that created us in the first place? Go to the source? That might be a good place to start, right? And so that's where we're going to go this morning. We're actually going to go back to the beginning. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your Bible app on your smartphone, turn to Genesis chapter 2. It is conveniently located in the beginning, literally, of your Bible. The one of the very first pages, Genesis chapter 2, is where we're going to start today, and we're going to go back to the beginning and see what God has to say about the situation we find ourselves in. So Genesis chapter 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So God creates the world in five days. He creates uh, humankind, Adam and Eve, on the sixth day, and then it says on the seventh day, he rested. What did God do? He rested from all of his work. Verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had Done. So right away here in Genesis, for those of you that are taking our core class, you might uh, recognize this a little bit, but God gives us this framework, this rhythm to life. And a, a way of kind of visualizing that is almost a, a, a pendulum, or for those of you that are uh, musically inclined, it's almost kind of a, um, a upside-down metronome or something like that that swings back and forth. And the two parts of that rhythm that God sets up is work. Everybody say work. And rest. Everybody say rest. rest. Work and rest. And one is not better than the other. Okay, notice I didn't say that, right? Work is a good thing, okay? One's not better than the other. In fact, if you go back to Genesis 1.28, God creates man and woman, and he gives them a job to do. He gives them work. That's a part of the natural rhythms of life. So we are, get this, we're hired for our job on the sixth day, and then what does God do on the seventh day? He rests, right? So that, that means Adam and Eve rested, right? Can you imagine getting hired for a job and then the, you, the next day you show up for your first day on the job and your boss says, you can go home, just take a rest, you get the day off. Best job ever, right? That's how God set up the fabric of creation. Maybe God did not design us to go, 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 crash. Maybe God did not design us to rest out of the craziness of our work, but instead to work out of the abundance of our rest. In the very fabric of creation, so to push against that, to pin that needle up against the side of work is to work against the very grain of how God designed 
the universe and us. So let's get really practical. How do we do that, okay? We live out that rhythm as that metronome goes back and forth. Daily, we live that rhythm out. Monthly, okay? Weekly, annually, we live that out. So first daily, because that's where we live, is in the dailies. How do we do this, okay? Well, first of all, why do we do it? Because Jesus did. If we're gonna come to him, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'm like, that's me, right? All of us, sign me up for that. Jesus says, okay, then go at my pace. Learn my rhythms, and Jesus did that. Every single day he spent time with the Father, and Jesus wasn't just modeling us how to have morning devotions, okay? Jesus is modeling for us how to find life and wisdom and rest in the middle of the chaos of this world. And as I talk to those of you that have been walking with Jesus for a long time, mature people in our congregation, daily time with Jesus is not optional. It's a necessity. Sometimes we get this weird, twisted, been there, done that mentality when you've been a part of the church. I don't need to do Bible study. I don't need a small group. Well, Jesus did. He spent time with the Father every day and he hung out with 12 guys. Jesus started the world's first small group, okay? And if he needed it, maybe you do as well, okay? Jesus needed that daily rhythm, okay? Anybody remember the story of Mary and Martha? Mary and Martha from the Gospels, okay? Two really good friends of Jesus, and he goes to hang out with them, and two very different responses. Martha's going around like crazy cleaning the house and making a hot dish because she was Norwegian and, and Lutheran and all of that and getting that all ready for Jesus. And then Mary has a completely different reaction. She's just being. And she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And some people totally misunderstand this story. They're like, don't be a Martha, be a Mary. Don't do anything, just be with Jesus. And then I talk to some people that say, I find real joy and satisfaction in my work. And I say, good, because you want to know what the message of that story is? Jesus never once condemned Martha. We say that. Jesus never said, don't be a Martha. What did Jesus say to Martha? in the midst of all your good and important life's work and your jobs, don't miss the one thing, the one thing that matters. Because every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And the problem with a lot of us is that we say yes to things that can't fill our souls. And so we're saying no to the things that matter most, relationships, worship, serving, community, Jesus never condoned Martha and the work. He said, don't miss the one thing. And I know from this very stage, (laughs) recently, I have preached to you, get involved, get active. I didn't say overdo it, but I said, serve, be involved, get active. And that's true. We want you to have seasons where you do that. This is a daily, a weekly, a monthly rhythm. But first, it is my deepest deepest desire and prayer for every single member of our church that you would know how to be with Jesus. For instance, if I said we're going to do that right now, I want you to take 10 minutes and just be with Jesus. Some of you are going to go, this is so awkward. Where is he? How do I be with him, right? I'm just going to sit here. Case in point, Learn how to be with Jesus. Learn to be in the stillness and the silence. Learn to abide in Jesus so that as that rhythm swings back, we naturally produce the fruit of being with Jesus. We produce the fruits of the Spirit, which lends itself to loving and serving and caring and volunteering and getting involved. But way more than Jesus wants your busyness, he wants you. Some of you are really good at producing for God. You don't know how to just enjoy him. 
That is the number one goal that God has for you. Would you enjoy being with me and being in a relationship with me, okay? How do we do that? There's multiple ways to do that. We, we offer prayer classes here all the time. We have this Bible for grown-ups class coming up. Don't miss that. If you, I don't know how to read the Bible. Get some help. Join with other people that are going along. Nobody in this church has it figured out, so you're not going to feel alone in that. Also, in a very practical way, I don't normally do this, but I wanted to follow up on uh, uh, the illustration that I did for you uh, a few weeks ago. I introduced to you the Pause app. Uh, that is an app that you can download on an Apple or Android on your phone. It's put out by Ransom Heart Ministries, and that's kind of a, a snapshot uh, of it. I have had more people than ever before, maybe I need to share more about Bible apps, but come up to me and say, John, I downloaded the Pause app, and it's changed my life, or it's been awesome. It's been so good for me. And if you haven't done it, I would encourage you to do it. It's just this uh, guided prayer that you can download, and you can set it for uh, one minute or three minutes or five minutes. And if you really love Jesus, 10 minutes, you can do that. Uh, I'm just kidding. And, and you can set that. And the funny thing is I've had people um, come up to me and say, John, I, I did it and everything, and I, and I love it. And you can set it as an alarm at certain times of the day. And they say, John, it's just so inconvenient. It, like, it just interrupts me, like, right in the middle of what I'm doing. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. And it proves the point that we get so engrossed in what we are doing. Again, the point is not to have a God time in the morning. The point is to let all of your time be saturated with God. That's the difference. And so this app just allows you, it's just an easy way to remind that, and it's based just on this simple prayer. Jesus, I give everything and everyone to you. And I don't know about you, but I, I need that. I don't think it's just a pastor thing. I think it's a human thing. Have you ever just seemed overwhelmed with the chaos of the world that we live in? I mean, if I could tell you my last 72 hours, this person has cancer, these people have a child that was just born a couple weeks ago still in NICU and they can't breathe on their own. There's natural disasters. There's diseases. There's all, you name it, it's been going on. I just feel like, oh man, my soul can't handle that. And so we love to care for you as pastors and staff and as a care team. But I will tell you this, I will love you. I will care for you. I will weep with you. I will pray for you. And the most loving thing that I can do for you as one of your pastors is give you to Jesus. Because I can't, do that. I can't carry that on my own. Jesus is the one that has the weight of the world on his shoulders, not me, not you. And so the prayer is that it's not about the app. It's building in that routine in your life that when chaos or stress or an argument comes your way, you speak that prayer and you build that rhythm into your life, whether you need the app or not, that says, Jesus, I give this meeting to you. Jesus, I give this interaction with my coworker to you. Jesus, I give this argument I'm having with my spouse to you. Jesus, I want to invite you into this discipline I need to do with my child and the lack of patience that I have right now. Jesus, I invite you into this car ride. Jesus, I invite you into this meeting with my boss. Whatever it is, that's the default reaction instead of fear and stress and anxiety. And again, with that app, something as simple as that, we've invited our kids into it. They ask for it. Daddy, can we do the phone prayer? Would, would you believe that your kids were created with a similar soul to you that craves stillness and intimacy with God? Like, they were created for that as well. It's not just this app. There's other apps called the Dwell app. We'll read the Bible to you. Uh, version app. I want to encourage you to download those as well. The best way sometimes that you can care for the people around you is giving them to Jesus. And so we practice that daily that rhythm, and we also do it weekly. And this is the one that a lot of you are probably familiar with, and it's the weekly discipline of Sabbath. Everybody say Sabbath. Sabbath. 
Let's read this together from Exodus chapter 20. So this is right after God's people have uh, fleed uh, slavery in Egypt and God gives them the Ten Commandments. So this is God speaking to us. Let's read it together. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. For some of you, you're very familiar with this, and for some of you, um, <laughs> you're not. And so uh, it's important to know that this isn't just something that we came up with as a church for a rule or a regulation, but here's the pendulum again, and God is inviting into you in what he did in creation. The central message of Christianity is not you do, it's it's been done. God invites Adam and Eve, and they show up on day one, like, God, how can we prove it to you that, that we're, we're lovable and we're valued? And God says, do nothing. Turns out that's the message of the cross as well. Jesus, what can I do to make you love me? And Jesus says, it's not you do, it's I've already done. It's been done for you. And so you step into that and you receive the gift. That's what Sabbath is, is a gift from God because he loves us. And it's a commandment. Now, a lot of people would say, I don't have any issue with the commandments. Anybody have an issue with one of the Ten Commandments? I don't think so, right? I mean, we, we, we say that. I don't think any of us are planning on going and robbing a bank today or nobody is planning on murdering anybody today, later. Let's come on up for prayer um, if you were thinking about that. But we don't have an issue with any of the other Ten Commandments. But this one, take 24 hours to rest and to B, we just kind of wink at it and we go, no, John, nobody does that. It's, it's 2020. It's a little old-fashioned, don't you think? It's just kind of a suggestion from God. The interesting thing is that the Sabbath is the only commandment that we actually brag about not keeping. Because we wear busyness and productivity as a badge of honor. What? You didn't work yourself to the bone last week? <sighs> You're not being very productive. You're, you're not worthwhile. These are some of the thoughts that go through my head. Maybe they go through your head. You're, you're, you're lazy for taking a day off or being with your kids or being with your family or, or whatever it is. And, and God understands that. But isn't it funny if we bragged about other, breaking other commandments the way that we did about the Sabbath? Like, hey, I'm going to go hit up four banks this afternoon. Anybody want you? Like, we don't say things like that. We kind of wink at the Sabbath. And God says, no, you're, it's not murder. It's not stealing. But if you keep going... 24-7, you're inflicting violence on yourself, and you are stealing the joy and the life that Jesus wants to give you. The Sabbath is a gift. God says, I'm giving you these commands, the Ten Commandments, not as rules and regulations, but as a good and loving Father, I'm giving you boundaries so you don't kill yourselves, so you don't burn yourselves out. I want to protect you in that. I love you. It's a gift. I think about it like a snow day. Anybody remember a, a snow day when you were a child growing up? Maybe some of you, your kids right now. There, we, the internet on your smartphone, you get a text from the school. Back in my day, you either watch the ticker at the bottom of the television screen or get this, growing up in Story City, this is weird. We called the bank. Is that weird or what? Okay, this is small town Iowa for you. And there's this like pre-recorded message. And my brother and I would huddle around the phone, you know, that's on a cord, I know. And you, and you pull that out and she would say, no school at Roland Story today. And we'd be like, yeah, snow day, wow! Like we were so excited because we had planned to work and we didn't have to. We weren't expecting it. And God is saying, you get a snow day every week. It's a gift to you. Receive it with joy. Receive it with excitement. You get to experience that every single week. God says there's this 24-hour period of time to be holy. Holy means set apart from your regular 
rhythms. Now, some, some scholars and, and church denominations will get all hung up on, it's got to be this day of the week, and it's got to be this long, and, and we end up losing the gift in the middle of the debate. Don't argue and debate away the gift. Receive the gift. Some of you are like, 24, I can't, John, I can't do that. Start with 12. Start with, start with two. Get in your car for 10 minutes and drive around the block and turn the radio off and be still and see what happens to your soul. Let your soul catch up with your body. Work up to it. It's a gift. Don't forget when God gave these commandments, it was to the Israelites that had literally just come out of Egypt. And what were they in Egypt? Slaves to their work. For multiple generations, all they knew was what it would look like to be worked to the bone. Their identity was in what they could produce. And if they didn't produce, they were beaten or killed. Their only identity was, I'm good for and valued for what I produce. They were slaves to their work. And so when God gives them the commands, it's not rules and regulations. He's giving them a picture. Here's 10 ways of how free people live. You're not a slave to your work. You're not a slave to your job. And thousands of years later, we still struggle with that. So what makes a good Sabbath? Let's get really practical. How do you actually do that? I want to give you four key ingredients to a great Sabbath. Number one is stop. Everybody say stop. stop. Sometimes that's the hardest part is to stop and slow down. Sabbath is a deliberate act of not doing. And why is that? To remest and remind ourselves that our value is not found in what we do. So we stop. Number two, we rest. Everybody say rest. Jesus came to give us rest. And he says, come to me. But how often the danger is, is that we run to other things. And it's not that these things are bad, but we want to get rest. Sometimes we look for the quick fix. And I know for a lot of us, it's the internet or it's Netflix or it's scrolling through our Facebook feed or we run to alcohol, or we run to the internet. And the problem is, is we do all those things and we go right back to the work we go right back to work and we're just as exhausted because all we did is numbed the pain. We numbed the pain. But here's the thing. Jesus isn't interested in numbing. He's interested in healing. Jesus isn't interested in putting a Band-Aid on your exhaustion and your stress. He wants to heal what's causing the wound to begin with. Okay, now don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with vegging. I do that. It's time to chill out. I put on some Netflix. I'm, I'm hooked on the West Wing for the... Third time, it's not an addiction right now, but just let me do it, okay? But there's a difference between vegging and restoration. And some of you long for that deep rest. The ultimate question is, what's going to fill you up, okay? I think about the, the gum. Anybody ever had juicy fruit, the gum? Anybody ever had that juicy fruit? Okay, juicy fruit is really, really good for about the first 12 seconds, okay? <laughs> and after that, it's terrible, right? It's like, oh, I just want to get this out of my mouth, right? Some of us have things that are just the juicy fruits in our lives, and we all have things that we go to over and over and over again. We go to the fridge. We go to the bottle. We go to an addiction. We go to those things that we think are going to fill us up. The swipe, the like, the love, the somebody that liked our dating profile online, and we think that's going to fill us up, and we run, and we all have our juicy fruits, and they don't satisfy. They let us down. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary. Don't mistake vegging and numbing the pain for real rest and restoration. So we rest. The third key ingredient in a great Sabbath is delight. Everybody say delight. delight. Delight is the deliberate act of doing something not to accomplish or not to produce, but simply because I enjoy it. And this looks different 
for all of us, as unique as who you are, as God created you. Now, there's some things that we're all called to do, to be in scripture, to be in prayer, to be in worship. But at the same time, there's different things that bring us life. For some of you, it's exercise or it's certain hobbies or walking or going for a run or yard work or whatever it is. Life is too short to be lived without joy. And I meet way too many Christians that don't have any joy. It's a fruit of the spirit that when the outside world looks at the church, they go, I don't believe what they do, but man, those people that go to church have the most joy. Same problems, same issues, same pain, same heartache, but joy because they're connected to the Vine. And that leads us to the last key ingredient, that's worship. Everybody say worship. As you think about this rhythm back and forth, does your family have a built-in value system that we say we worship weekly? It's just what we do. A life that revolves around us can become very, very empty pretty quick. And of the many reasons that we worship together weekly as a family with your family is number one, you were created for it. That's a pretty good reason. But number two, we get the focus off of ourselves and on to God and others. Would you believe that maybe the reason that God had you here today was not for you? Like maybe you got something out of the sermon and I pray that you do. But what if the reason God had you come to worship some Sunday morning was so that you could bless somebody else or pray for somebody else or serve somebody else? that God wants to work through you as well. You can go anywhere to hear a concert. You can hear a speaker on Netflix or YouTube. But when two or more are gathered in Jesus' name, there's something that happens here that you can't get anywhere else, and it's the presence of Jesus as the local church. And you can't do that in front of your computer screen, and you can't do that in your living room. Jesus calls us to come together. And so when you talk about inviting our kids into it, some of you are like, John, this idea of Sabbath is really great, but, but I, I, I can't do that. With, I have young kids. I got middle-aged guys. I can't do that, so how do you do it? And trust me, I'm right in the middle learning how to do this as well. I don't have the, this all figured out, but I will say this. Invite them into it. Invite them into it. This is, this is what we do. Some of you are like, my kids don't want to go to church. And even my kids as pastor's kids, like, they love being here, but there's some mornings where like, I don't want to go to church. And I say, you get to go to church. Boom, let's go. And out the door we go, okay? Some of you are like, that's not politically correct parenting. I'm like, it's called love. It's called parenting. Because I know there was so many Sundays growing up as a pastor's kid myself that I didn't want to go to church. Every ounce of me wanted to stay home and watch NFL game day. But I knew that every time I, I know now looking back that God was planting seeds in my heart whether I wanted him to or not. And so we invite our kids into that. Another way we invite our kids into Sabbath is to find uh, joys and passions, things we love doing together and create those traditions as a family. Maybe one of the greatest gifts that you can give your family on Sabbath is your undivided attention. Get down on the floor and play with your kids and get off your phone. Go on a date with your spouse. Have a meal together with your family and put your phone somewhere else. And I dare you, look your spouse in the eyes for 10 or 15 minutes and have a conversation. It will be really hard because you're going to be thinking about what you're going to say next while they're talking. Be fully present. Give them your undivided attention. Let your kids see you be still. Don't let them growing up seeing mommy or daddy working seven days a week, working 60, 70 hours a week and going, oh, okay. So my value is found in what I produce. Let them see parents and grandparents that know how to sit and be still. Because when you're still, you can hear the voice of God. And I know, I know the world we live in. Our kids are diving into this world as well with kids and traveling teams and sports and activities and all these things. And I know all this is, feels really rebellious. 
But at the end of the day, when I stand before God, I care way more about the souls of my kids than I do about the opinions of their friends and their parents. Because I'm accountable to God. He's my Lord and he's my king. And I don't answer to anybody else. We dive deep into the world, but we let our souls be fed by Jesus. So we embrace this rhythm daily. We embrace this rhythm uh, weekly uh, as well. And again, start somewhere and work up to it. And finally, just a little bit, embrace it monthly. Embrace it annually. One of the things that Tiffany and I have tried to do is we kind of embrace this discipline of looking ahead in the month. And we'll say, where are we going to purposely schedule a weekend where we do nothing? Like we schedule everything else, so this is our do-nothing weekend. And we look at our week and we say, where are our date nights following? Where, where are we going to do nothing? If there's more than three or four nights where we're out doing something, we need to let our souls catch up to our bodies. And we do this monthly and we do this annually. And what if the primary question that you and your spouse or you and whoever looks at your calendar and decides that, what if the primary question that you asked was not what's going to make other people happy but what's best for my relationship with God and my soul in my schedule, in my calendar? And we do that annually. My wife and I have started the last three years. It's been so good for our families. We have an annual planning retreat where we just go to Starbucks for five or six hours and just camp out. And we put in our calendar and schedule when's our Sabbath? When's our date nights? When are we going on vacation? When are our do-nothing weekends? And we schedule that. The big point there is intentionality. If it's important, schedule it. We have no problem scheduling ourselves and our kids into oblivion. Put it in your calendar. Finally, I want to go back to where we all started in this rhythm, the reason that we do this. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then look at this verse 29. It's weird. Take my yoke upon you? What in the world is a yoke? That's not a language that we use a lot. I'm guessing none of you saw a uh, ox yoke, a couple oxen walking down Ingersoll on your way here uh, today. In Jesus' day, there would be custom-made yokes that were hand-fashioned by carpenters for two oxen teams. And what they would do is that a young ox would be yoked to an older, wiser, mature ox that knew the right rhythms, the knew the right pace. And so what they would do is they would match them up, and the young ox really wanted to go and go fast and get it, get it all done in a hurry. And he kind of thought like some of us that life is a marathon. Life is a sprint, not a marathon. And he would go, 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 but because they were yoked together, the yoke would chafe the back of his neck, and then it would force him to slow down so that he would learn the pace and the rhythms of the older, wiser ox. Jesus is inviting us to be yoked with him to his wisdom and to his experience. I know what the world says. I know what all the other young families are doing. I know what everybody else at school is doing. I know what all the other grandparents are doing. Jesus says, learn my rhythm. Because each yoke, you should know, was custom fit for that specific ox. And so Jesus says, stop comparing yourself to everybody else and learn the unique rhythm that I have for you and you and your family in this specific season of life. Some of you might feel like this is all a to-do list, but it'll take time to learn these new rhythms and to retrain our hearts and our minds. But do know this, that small disciplines done consistently lead to big results over time. Small results, small disciplines done consistently lead to big results 
over time. And I can't think of a better season to do this than the season of Lent. Come to Ash Wednesday this Wednesday. Slow down. Lent is, is traditionally known as a season, these six weeks leading up to Easter, to make space for God. If not now, then when? So we turn to Jesus to be yoked to him. And so instead of just talking about it today, I was like, how are we going to end the sermon today? Uh, I, I think we're just going to get some pillows and bring down the lights and some blankets in the back, and we're just going to have a, a, no, we're not going to do that. That'd be fun. We should do that sometime. We're kind of going to do it. We are going to bring the lights down, and we're going to play a video here in a little bit, and the band's just going to play a little bit, and we're going to rest. We're going to be with Jesus, and these might be the most important couple minutes of your week. And I want to show you how simple and easy it is to be with Jesus. And we're going to soak because some of you feel like that parched, dried out sponge today. And how do you experience rest in Jesus? You let yourself be drenched and soaked in his presence. And that takes time and an unhurried posture. And so we're just going to have the band play. The lights are coming down. We're going to play a little video here in a little bit. And I want to invite you to rest in God and just ask God these simple questions. God, what kind of rest are you inviting me into? What kind of new rhythm are you inviting me into? And that's it. And if you've never heard God speak before, ask him. Say, I'm new at this, God. Would you help me? And he's closer to you this morning than the person sitting next to you. And for some of you, this is going to be really hard. Why? I just, I just want to challenge you this morning. Why? This is, this is awkward. Why? I have a, yeah, I have a hard time hearing from God. Why? Dig into that a little bit. Press into that a little bit. And don't just settle for, I don't know how to do this. I've never done this before. This is weird, touchy-feely stuff. This is called following Jesus and listening to the Father's voice. And it might be uncomfortable. And so this fits perfectly. It's feeling like spring outside. So we're going to pray and then we're going to have a little bit of springtime here in the worship center to be still. Not to worry about what's going on around us, but simply be in God's presence. And so I'm going to pray for us and then we're just going to be still. And then we'll close in worship together. So Father, we come before you right now and just say that we want more of you. God, we admit that sometimes that our souls need to catch up with our bodies, that we feel that disconnect and we are tired and overwhelmed and emotionally and spiritually exhausted. God, and even if we're not, we, we want more of you. We want to be drenched and soaked in your life-giving water. Help us to be fully present in these moments to make this a regular rhythm of our lives, to allow you to interrupt the chaos of our lives with your silence and with your stillness. And so, and Father, we invite you to speak, and we say we want to learn to hear your voice. The most important voice that we'll hear today, God, is you. For us and our families, for us as our kids, Jesus, we want you we want silence and we want stillness of our hearts and our minds and our souls. Jesus, bring springtime 
Bring springtime for our hearts. We want more of you. 